You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome into another edition of Trailblazers here on SENZ. I'm Ricky Swanell. And my guest, well, she needs very little introduction because she has been the face, really, of our New Zealand Olympic teams and Commonwealth game teams for many years, one of our leading sports administrators, and now moving on to new things. My guest today is Kieran Smith. How are you? Hey, good, Ricky. Really good to see you and talk to you this morning. Um, new life. You've, you've only, uh, what, a, a little bit of time into stepping down from your role as Secretary General. How has it uh, been free and, and fancy free for a wee while? Yeah, well, it's really lovely. I've um, been here in Waiheke for the last um, week or so, just decompressing and um, relaxing and catching up on all those things I thought I should be doing for the last couple of years. So it's excellent. Have you been able to let it go straight away or um, at least that role? I know you made the announcement that you were going to move on a, a wee while ago, but it's probably been quite a big build-up to actually finishing up. Yeah, well, it has been quite a big build-up and um, just because there's been lots on and there's little time to, to stop. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was ready to move on. I'm really um, proud of what, what we achieved in the New Zealand Olympic Committee over that time, but um, certainly ready to regroup and um, sort of repackage myself onto the next big thing. So, so, yeah, certainly, um, but it does take a bit of time just to decompress from a job like that. Did it feel like the timing was right? Was the end of Tokyo always possibly in the back of your mind? Yeah, it was really. Um, because in a job like this, and it's unusual that you work in, in these four-year cycles, and it, it kind of takes, you know, the first cycle to really get to know people and to understand the business and meet and work out how you can actually make a difference. The second cycle, you kind of make the changes you want to do. And then the third one is really, really, I guess, the icing on the cake. And um, although we didn't plan for COVID on that third cycle, so that was, um, you know, it took a bit longer to bake the cake, actually, than we planned. But yeah, no, it, was, it certainly was, um, you know, 10 years plus is more than enough time. Yeah, because it's, it's very easy, isn't it, to lurch from games to games and cycle to cycle because they are amazing things that everybody wants to be part of. And you hang on for, do you think, oh, I just hang on for just one more or just one more. Did that, did you, we, we're conscious of getting into that sort of loop? I mean, Paris 2024, that always sounds nice too. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, so hopefully I can go to Paris and see it through a different set of eyes. But um, no, I really, um, I was ready to do that. And funny, as I reflect now, the last three jobs, I've done each of them for 10 years. So it's, it feels like I, I like to get into a, into a role and make a difference and have time to build and create and, you know, and create a bit of a legacy for the organisation. So certainly it's, it's long enough. And, and I think with the complications of COVID um, in the last couple of years, it's, it's made a different pace and intensity on the job. So um, you're really proud of what we're able to do in, in Tokyo and as well as in Beijing, given all of those factors. 
Yeah, how, um, how? I mean, gosh, he always asks us, how challenging has COVID been? But when you are delivering two or being involved in two Olympic Games, obviously a postponement of one, and then, that, then two of them within the space of eight months is extraordinary. Has that ground down a bit the team a wee bit? And and and, and when I say the team, I mean the staff at the NZOC and, and, and you as well. It must have been exhausting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's complicated enough, you know, having, um, you know, an Olympic team particularly, you know, generally 200-plus athletes from 20 different sports going into a pressure cooker environment, you know, for three weeks, and it's just um, always complicated and complex. And overlaying, you know, COVID and all the countermeasures into that was was took us into a very detailed sort of, you know, level of logistics and planning to make sure you just got the foundations right, you know, just to keep people well and healthy and safe. And and we've always had that, you know, whether it's been COVID, I mean, certainly Rio was different with Zika and then, but before that London, people forget that London was sort of, you know, a level one kind of environment around terrorism at that time. So there's mm. always things, but, you know, COVID was next level and, really important to keep people safe and healthy but also most importantly as well as to perform you know it is the Olympic Games and people sacrifice you know eight to ten years to be on that stage so all of those things together made it um, complicated but incredibly rewarding in the end. Tokyo and, and Beijing in one way Beijing had less restrictions in Tokyo and vice versa and a much smaller team for for the Beijing Winter Games and towards the end of, of your time there how did that, those two difference or those two events compare? Yeah funnily enough I mean um, you were at both of them I, I, I didn't get to the Beijing Winter Olympics no. um, and you didn't have to have your throat swabbed every day. Yeah oh my goodness like it's it's just such a weird world we're living in, isn't it? And I'm looking at looking into the Winter Olympics in China and and seeing, you know, welcoming committees of Chinese and PPE meeting our athletes, and I'm sure yourselves. And you know, you realise just the measures that they took. Um, but China, being China, you know, the great regret for them, and same for Tokyo, to be honest. Um, Japan is, I mean, they had stunning facilities. They had incredible organisation. They would have been amazing games for spectators to have attended in a different time. Um, so I just really feel for both those countries that they weren't able to, you know, really show the best of what they were able to to do. Um, but notwithstanding that, um, what it makes me reflect on is just the resilience of our athletes, um, particularly the Beijing Winter Olympics. I mean, the athletes were coming in from all around the world. They'd all had COVID in their campaigns. You know, they were getting into the country by the skin of their teeth because of the, um, mm. you know, the strict requirements and the, and the, you know, Chinese elimination strategy for, for COVID. And, you know, to go out and compete and win and be setting the standard for the world now, our, our young winter athletes, it's, it's a remarkable achievement and we should all feel so, so proud of them. Mm. You took over. You you joined the NZOC in 2011. The Secretary General is the is the official title, isn't it? It's very um sort of highfalutin title. <laughs> well, it's an international. To be honest, it's used more internationally. So Secretary General right. is kind of the international name for a lot of it. Um, movements and you know like the UN, they have those kind of names. Whereas in New Zealand, typically it's called a CEO. Um, yeah, same same. Same time. Okay, right. So it's not not anything flashy. Um, but what when you going into a role like that? What sort of 
you said, as you said, go through the cycles wanting to implement change or, or leave your influence on the organisation. What did you kind of set out to do in those early days? Well, it's funny you should ask that because a couple of weeks ago, a, a lovely farewell function I had, um, I was thinking the night before, what am I going to talk about? And um, so I what, couldn't sleep, so I got up and found in the cupboard my um my sort of application and what I talked about in my application and the vision I had at that time. And um, and it was really interesting to reflect on how much of that, you know, had come to pass. And so for me, you know, what I was looking to do was to realise the potential of the organisation in such a way that the New Zealand Olympic Committee is in the nexus between domestic sport and international sport. Mm. And it's complicated. So, you know, a lot of the work we're doing is working with many, many different national sports organisations here at home and their athletes to get them ready to go to various games. But on the international stage, working with all of the stakeholders, you know, the host cities for games, the IOC for Olympics, Commonwealth Games Federation for Commonwealth Sport, all of this. And so our, our my vision at that time was very much about how do we how do we stand tall? How do we stand tall on the world stage? How do we bring our athletes to the fore and they can show their true character and their personalities and their New Zealandness and our culture and who we are and what we stand for and do all that and be successful and do all that and be inclusive. And um, so for me, that was really, you know, my vision was around inclusivity and diversity, making sure that we as an organisation reflected New Zealand, that we, we were able to do the right thing by our teams and by our athletes, enable them to perform, um, surround them with good people, good leadership, um, be high integrity. So people were proud of New Zealanders. We, we weren't cheats. We weren't doping. We weren't, you know, all of that, that when we went as a team, we stood tall. And even if we didn't perform to our ambitions, we were able to do it with, um, with dignity. So all of those things were what really mattered for me, um, and 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 you know, was shared with the vision with the board and others, and, and like Mike Stanley as president, you know, very much is in sync with that. So, yeah, it was pretty cool to have a look at it and, and read read the story. You're like, oh, I had I had the vision, I had the sight, um, and, and doing it. Probably a lot of people don't actually realise that the New Zealand Olympic Committee is actually a not-for-profit, right? It's, so you're doing it on the smell of an oily rag. How has that? How challenging is that when you the huge expense that comes with sending massive teams to Olympic Games and also staying relevant in between mm -hmm. Olympic cycles? Yeah, well, the relevance thing was really interesting. You say that yeah. it was one of my um, one of my visions was around the three R's because I'm, I'm kind of come from quite a practical basic background, um, a rural South Otago. And, you know, it was about our role and our relevance, you know, and, and being relevant 24-7, not just for three weeks of the year or of the quad. So that's really important to us. And resources was the third thing. So it was all about getting the three hours right. Um, and, yeah, resources, look, it takes a lot of money to get these teams together to go away. Mm -hmm. And so it's very much around um, creating good partners and people who really believe in the vision. And I tell you, New Zealanders are incredibly proud of our our Olympic and Commonwealth Games teams because people see themselves in them. So if you don't like one sport, you, you'll surely like another. If you don't like one athlete, you'll surely like another. And now they've got new sports, traditional sports, team sports, and it's much more um, appealing to a wider audience. So, But yes, Ricky, you're right that getting resources together has, is tricky. So really working on the um, commercial side domestically and internationally 
we're in a strong partnership with government, with Sport New Zealand, with High Performance Sport. That's fundamental. Strong partnership with um, philanthropists now. Philanthropy is an increasing you know, part of what we do. And, and then also just building that day-to-day social and digital media presence and engaging with New Zealanders, not only in New Zealand either, around the world, to the extent that as the New Zealand Olympic Committee has one of the highest, if not the highest, um, social um, engagement in terms of social media. So all of those things add up to help mm. in the resource packaging of the team. Is that where the relevance has come from, that kind of philosophy of being always on, not just popping up when there's some selection announcements to, to come or, you know, we, when you're three weeks out from the Games? Yeah, I mean, always on is important. That is absolutely the relevance piece. And it needs to be respectfully managed. I mean, obviously, we're just one part of the athlete's life. You know, it's it's not, you know, every day they're competing with the NSO and, and their own teams. And, and we really try and... Um, work collaboratively with the sports and with the athletes on that and and create stories that transcend teams and individuals. So being, you know, on trend with, with issues of the day and enabling athletes to have a voice on things that matter to them is also being part of the social media um, always-on story. Mm. What is it, a role like yours, what does a day-to-day actually look like outside of the glamour of the games? It's always glamorous, obviously. Um, what What's the day-to-day sort of stuff of heading up an organisation like that? I can't even, is it, is it a long list? It's a really long list of weird things. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I did particularly find myself, you know, last year and the year before when things got really, you know, really detailed around, you know, well, for example, to get the team in Tokyo, we had athletes in 26 countries. So we were reaching out. So it's hard enough to get an athlete out of New Zealand or a person, you'd know yourself, leaving the country to go to an Olympic Games. You have to get, you know, these tests, you know, timely manners. You then have to get, you know, everything in preparation, which is a lot. We had to work through 26 countries to try and get our athletes to the Games before Tokyo. Now, trying to even find an accredited lab in some of those countries, trying to even get access to vaccinations, all of these things. I'm thinking, what am I doing with myself? But, you know, we did what it, whatever we needed to do. But it can be anything from, you know, making sure that we do the, everything right, so really focusing on that detail through to, you know, relationships, whether it's with government, whether it's with the IOC about, contemporary issues like Ukraine, Russia, talking to the Athletes Commission, do they want to exercise their voice on these matters? So, you know, it's it's a full spectrum of, um, of, of kind of work and or about, you know, working with ambassadors and schools. I mean, it's, it's sort of wide and deep. But, but, you know, at any time, I have to say a real privilege mm. because, you know, it is a very, very special role. It's unique in New Zealand. Um, and and it's just you know you get the opportunity to work with the very best of New Zealanders at at a time that really matters to them. My guest today on Trailblazers is one of our leading sports administrators, Karen Smith. More shortly on SCNZ. Welcome back into Trailblazers on SCNZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and I'm chatting with Karen Smith, one of our longtime leading sports administrators, recently stepped down from her role as the head of New Zealand's Olympic Committee. Karen, you've always kind of come across as a very pragmatic kind of person and you mentioned it before. Does that come from growing up on a farm in South Otago? <laughs> well, I think it does. You know, it's um, you often say that you're a product of where you come from, isn't it? And I think that 
you know, in my upbringing, you know, if things didn't happen, unless you made them happen, you know, it was very much about being resourceful, being determined and committed. And, yeah, I was on on, on a farm, the youngest of six, so um, got kicked around a bit. And, um, and you know, so I, I think it just leads you to be pragmatic. And I've always had a lot of advisors along the way who have kept me pretty um, grounded. So, yeah, I think that's probably part of the story. Yeah, who are, who are some of the people that have, that you have leaned on or gone to over the years and, and kind of guided you along the path? Well, there's been many, um, and I've needed yeah. lots. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, different stages of your life, different people, really. But um, mm-hmm. a person who's been a total constant for me is Dame Lois Muir. Um, and, and for those listeners who know Dame Lois, you'll know that she's um, a pretty grounded person herself, and but incredibly astute Um you know, great, great source of wisdom around complicated issues. So, so Dame Lois has been a constant, as have many of, you know, the finest women in netball that probably a generation above, you know, the, the ones right now, not necessarily because I, I know, don't know them so well, but, you know, people like Monica Leggett, you know, Christine Archer, just just fabulous New Zealanders that have really been fundamental in terms of keeping, um, keeping me on track. And I think I've been lucky enough in... Um, and the last three organisations I've been employed by. So, you know, if I go back, you know, the 10 years before, the, the last 10 years, it was at the Hillary Commission. Um, I was general manager there before it changed to Sport New Zealand and really blessed by the um, the chairs at that time. So, um, so Wilson Winneray was chairman for a while and he's just an exceptional wow. New Zealander. And then Sir Brian Lahore, both of whom were beyond, you know, just such amazing mentors um, and just the quality of their leadership and character was was inspirational to work alongside them. Uh, Trish McKelvey and I did a lot of work together in women in sport in that time, and um, which was a real privilege. And Trish is still, you know, she's probably one of the icons of women's sport in this country. Um, so that was in that era. And then I moved and working in the New Zealand Academy of Sport in the South Island. And Dame Lois was the chair when I first mm-hmm. went there. So uh, we had a lot of fun together, and then she was succeeded by a, a great man from Christchurch called Peter Cox, who's also a fabulous mentor. And in this job, you know, you've you've got lots of advisors when you work for the New Zealand Olympic Committee, um, lots of people who who give you advice on a daily basis, and certainly from the board, Mike Stanley's been fantastic. I also just want to um, mention too the the athlete leaders that I've learned so much from. You know, Barbara, Barbara Kendall. Um, Sarah Cowley-Ross now, Sarah Walker, Alison Shanks, you know, all of them hold international roles or have, um, and they just do amazing work on behalf of athletes and carry that voice, um, you know, onto the governance table. So, yeah, many, many mentors, um, which is great, which is fantastic. Yeah, but you would have had some fun along the way. I always say to people, the very first Fast Five netball tournament we had here in Auckland, there was an after party that many of us were able to go along to. And when you arrived at the door, Dame Lowe and Monica Leggett Mons were handing out the drinks tickets. (laughs) Yeah, they're really special. I mean, I I think that's one of the, you know, for me philosophically too, is um, it's important you have fun. I mean, we do these jobs, you work hard, and we should always never forget to A, B, be blessed to remember where we are at, and we're and in sport, man, we see some pretty incredible things. You must have yourself, Ricky, um, wonderful insights and and opportunities. But but also have fun and enjoy the people and um, and the international you know opportunities as well are really special. Mm. 
did you did you fall towards these kind of roles or this job? Did you set out to do this? I know you. Yeah, I think you had an accident when riding horses when you were younger, and that sort of curtailed your sporting ambitions. So, how did you actually head in this path? Probably curtailed my sporting ambitions because they were going to be curtailed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's a really funny question. I think inside myself, I'm. I'm quite a driven person, but you never know that until you sort of can reflect on it. But I've always wanted to, um, you know, to, to be the best I can be. It's just something that in, burns inside me, you know. And I've always probably sought out leadership roles, not not aggressively, but just, you know, that's been something that's, you know, I've been driven to, to achieve. But no, I didn't even know an organisation such as this existed. So I didn't have a dream that that's the pathway I'm going to be on. Right. I just kind of set about doing stuff and did the best I could at the time so um, yeah and started as a phys ed teacher actually and um, at Marlborough Girls College and taught for a few years and thought oh, no, I think I can I think I've done that now I'll move on to something else so um, but yeah I, I just really enjoy leadership I, I enjoy leading I enjoy the challenge of it I enjoy creating I enjoy working with people and and working on culture is something that I I really thrive on is leadership do you think is it learned or is it innate well that's a people do phds on this topic <laughs> well you ask all the big questions on the show yeah yeah um for me i think for some people it just does come more naturally um but but i i would call myself somewhat of a student of you know i've read read a lot about leadership it matters to me to try and get better and to, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have support to attend a number of leadership programs over the years. The, late, the latest and one of the most impactful was in 2019 um, through a Swiss university called IMD. I actually did that um, as a result of winning the Christopher Doig um, Leadership Award for Sport New Zealand and that funded my attendance at that. And those things really matter because what happens on a day-to-day -day basis is you, you get so bogged down and you need to better lift up and, you know, and think about leadership and think about, gosh, what are the problems and how can I tackle them and who knows how can I share this information. So, yeah, I certainly have, have taken every opportunity I can around learning more, um, working at how I can become a better leader. Um, you know, some of the mentors I've talked about have been pretty um you know, good at telling me that, and that's good. It keeps you on your toes, and um, and I, you learn from watching people every day. And when when you're in the high performance business, you know, you see you see the best of the best, and and that's certainly been really impactful for me. What do you think makes a, a good leader, or what has made you a good leader? Well, I think fundamentally, um, God, that's again, that's another really <laughs> big question. But I think you know, at, at the heart of it. It's a little bit about enabling people to, to do a good job, you know, supporting, empowering and mentoring and guiding. So first of all, you need to know where you're going. So mm. real clarity around what's where are you heading for um, and then getting good people around you, trusting them, believing them and uplifting them and letting them get on with their job and um, keeping, you know, things that matter at the forefront of your mind Um and matters, things like integrity, things like doing things properly, like being honest, um, giving good feedback, all of those things, and creating a culture where people love love what they do and they have fun. At the end of the day, if people love what they do and they're having fun and they're achieving their results, 
the ship's going to sail in the right direction. And I don't think leadership is always um, complicated. I think, you know, the hardest thing is to keep things simple. And, you know, with, in a complicated world like we've got now, you know, they get some, you get more and more and more and more stuff. But it's really important to have clarity on where you're going and what you need and how you're going to get there. I know it sounds simple, but actually mm. the hardest thing is to, to make it simple. And I have a little quote that everyone knows I have a quote about. I was going to say, you're going to bring it up, surely. No, it's always, the most thing I always say is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And it is so important because whether it's conflict, whether it's hard decisions, whether it's, um, you know, do I do I this, do I that? Who do I employ? How are we going to go about it? Just come back to what's the basic thing you're trying to achieve. And I guess that's the one thing when you work in, um, in you know, in the Olympic and Commonwealth movements, which are much more than just about teams and games. But teams and games matter because they set the platform for inspiration and relevance. But it's 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 an easy value proposition. All you're trying to do is help New Zealanders be their best and create an environment when they're proud and they can perform. And if we keep our focus on that, and in sport so often we lose that focus. We lose focus on what are we actually there for. And so it's a matter of creating the right environment for the athletes, for the actual participants, which sometimes people mm. forget, to go onto the world stage and perform be safe, be healthy, and be focused on their performance and create some magic. Mm. I reckon everyone who's ever heard you speak has got written in a notebook, <laughs> the main thing is keep the main thing the main thing, because I literally was going to ask that next. We will take a quick break here on Trailblazers on SCNZ, where my guest is Karen Smith, back shortly. You're listening to Trailblazers on SENZ. My guest today is Kieran Smith. We've been talking about leadership in sport. And one area, Kieran, that you have been very prominent in is obviously the role of women in sport and, and the role that we can have and have had and the struggles and all of that. How far have we come and how far have we still got to go? Well, we've come a long way, um, for sure. I guess when you've been around as long as I have, you can certainly see the, um, the changes. And, you know, just reminded you know, last weekend when you looked at the, you know, Women's Cricket World Cup final and, you know, reflected on the viewership and how many people have been watching mm -hmm. and listening to women's sport in the last, you know, few months and you think about the Olympics and the teams and the medals and who's winning them and how many teams are performing, female teams. So on the field of play, massive strides. Um, I think in terms of, you know, governance of sport, and sitting around board tables and leaders, we've we've made, you know, pleasing progress. And I support New Zealand and Minister Robertson has been a very influential part of that. Um, I think we we're still really struggling as in the in the coaching, you know, leadership space and and particularly more in the high performance area than perhaps the community space. I'm not so sure, I'm not as close to that, but you know, I feel like there's a lot yet to be learnt about how do we get the best out of um, and create the right environment for performance for for our sports women? And and I think until we have, you know, we, we, there's still steps to be made in that space is what I'd say. Have you, ha, given the roles that you have had, have you felt that responsibility too of of 
being very prominent and um, kind of leading that way a little bit. And sometimes that comes with a little bit of extra pressure. You can't stuff this up because of this or that. Or uh, how does how is that? How have you worn that on your shoulders? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I've been fortunate to have, um, you know, been touched by some very influential role models and mentors that, um, you know, that I can't help but just admire their resolve and their determination. And 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 one of the things that matters to me in the work I do is that you walk the talk. You know, you, you can't be there talking about, you know, diversity and inclusion and not having an organisation that looks like that and that lives that those values and it's not easy I mean we can't change the world in a, in a heartbeat but we all need to make progress and, and and show endeavor and personally I feel it's part of who I am to to you know walk that path and to make sure that you know behind us all there is a legacy of women leaders and male leaders I mean both we just need great leaders um and, and leading doesn't have to mean you're sitting at the top table of a, of a national organisation. Everyone, I mean, leadership comes from what we do in our everyday life and how we role model and the decisions we make and how we empower and support others. And, and I think that's just something I've always felt, you know, is important to do. I've been kind of mentored to do that. Not, not, not saying I have to, but that's that's the pathway that, you know, we've all walked down. And, you know, you want, you want to see our male and female athletes achieve their potential, whether their potential is, you know, the back paddock of a rugby field or whether it's, you know, um, Twickenham or, you know, whatever. You know, that's that's what we want to do is to create an inclusive, supportive environment. With that, obviously, I mean, you've had to front foot some big issues around that and, and um, obviously Laurel Hubbard and her um, inclusion and in competing at, at recent Olympics and Com Games and stuff like that. How do you address those kind of issues? Everyone has their own, very much has their own opinion. How mm. challenging was that? That has that been? Yeah, that's really challenging. I, I think that probably, you know, maybe in sports leadership, but probably in life, moral questions are the things that are the hardest. Aren't they? Yeah. There's not an there's not an easy answer. Um, you know. For Laurel, I, I I learned so much through that um, that whole you know her, you know her um, eligibility, her participation in the Olympics. You know, I, one of the most um, you know special memories I have actually was her interview that she did the day after the Tokyo Olympics, whereby I actually understood more about the person and what motivated her. And actually, at the heart of it, it was the joy of participation. And sometimes in all of our moral dilemmas, we forget at the end of the day, the people people were at the centre of this. And I suppose in the in the most simplest terms, in regards, you know, Laurel's situation, um, and many others, without getting personal on that one, is that you know, a sports role is a sports role, and you know, as it stood, as it, and as it stands. Um, were yet to be changed, if it is changed at all, you know, Laurel was eligible to compete as an international athlete in the female category. And therefore, our job um, as the New Zealand Olympic Committee was to facilitate and support that participation. And and I think that's one of the important things as sports leaders to be able to understand the very diverse and emotional views that surround things like that, but also to be able to stand tall and be confident and 
respectful that what you're doing at the time is is the right thing to do because that is that is the rule and and sport is about you know how, how we how we play the game also it's about people's human rights i mean at the end of the mm-hmm. day you know there's all sorts of spectrums and and this is this is also about a person and their their participation in life and society and these matters around transgender um, will become more prevalent in, in, in our day-to-day world um, and they will continue to polarise. Um, I guess at the heart of all of this, you know, the view I've tried to take in in the context of this work is just to think about a person, to think about um, creating a safe environment for athletes. Um, and I know that our team did an incredible job mm. to support Laurel um, proactively, not only here in New Zealand but also internationally and you know, facilitated some really good conversations, you know, around Laurel's participation in Tokyo. So, yeah, certainly learned a lot for that, and there's probably a few more along the way. Yeah. Have you seen anything like it in terms of a level of interest, media scrutiny um, on one person or one issue? Like, I couldn't recall anything like like that in the time I've been around. No, I, I don't think so. And I think, um, you know, even... You know, even in the sort of scale back Tokyo setting, it was it was quite confronting, wasn't it? Um, you know, at, at, that, at that moment in that time, and um, yeah, I guess unless Tiger Woods came to New Zealand, we we probably aren't going to see anything quite like that. But I think it's happening at the Masters right now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, on the on the discussions around women in sport and we we've got this amazing cohort of women who are doing so much work behind the scenes these conferences so much going on do we sometimes though this is a bit loaded but do we sometimes preach to the converted um we all know this is a great thing that that then that it needs to spread further than than this cohort yeah I I think it's sort of like tumbleweeds growing you know it's like it's gathering momentum and 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 you know and, and it kind of has to be like that to create, I think, change and to create momentum for change. You know, hopefully in 15 years' time, you know, all the conversations we're having about more women in certain roles won't won't exist, you know. As the Cheryl Sandberg said in um, Lean In, it's like we won't talk about female leaders, we'll just talk about leaders. And that's where we want to get to. But in, in, in roles, we're not there and... Um, and it does take a bit of, um, I guess, forcing and coalescing and gathering of people to to get to that point. So, you know, certainly in New Zealand, there's great momentum, and I and I think um, we're on the verge of some big change. I mean, I don't know that we would have foreseen some of the changes we've seen in the media, for example, and and you know, in the last, you know, just in terms of the coverage in the in recent mm. times. You know, would we have thought five years ago that that would have happened? I'm not sure we would have thought that. So, no. yeah, I think I think we do. A we do preach to conversion, but hopefully we're also pushing the boundaries on that conversion, Ricky. Yeah. Uh, stay with us here on SENZ. A little bit more to come shortly with Karen Smith. Welcome back into Trailblazers on SENZ, where today I've been chatting with Kieran Smith about a life in sports leadership and all the things that get thrown at you. And, and it, I mean, some people have views that sport is inherently political. Others think that it should stay apart. Gosh, you must have done some some handshaking and smiles through gritted teeth over the years, particularly in those upper levels you work at within the Commonwealth Games Federation and, and IOC. Mm. Yeah, well, you, you, you certainly do, and there's no doubt that um, 
sport and politics are inextricably tied up. Um, you know, when you're in the Olympic movement and there's 206 countries sitting around the table and there's more countries around that table than there are at the United Nations, you know, inevitably you have um, differences of opinion on many, many things. Um, I think it's less diverse in terms of the opinions at the Commonwealth Games table. You know, there's, um, you know, I think our shared history around, you know, our you know, the heritage, the language, um, we laugh at the same jokes. Um, you know, <laughs> I think that's a slightly different and more um, cohesive family. But certainly, um, yeah, there's there's some very interesting um, interesting discussions that occur in the Olympic world for sure. I would say you must you've got must. I hope you've got a notebook full of stories for a book one day of, of life out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably not as good at keeping my notes as I should be, Ricky. But um, <laughs> there's a lot of lived experience, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's certainly, yeah, it's very interesting. But you know, at the end of the day, sport matters to countries, um, and unfortunately for some countries, it matters more than life itself. And, and that's a really unfortunate situation. And, you know, obviously we're seeing that and, the, you know, the profound impact that this, you know, Ukraine-Russia situation will have is, and rightly so, because it's, you know, it's, it's horrendous. But those things are, um, you know, are very complicated in a sporting context. Yeah, because we, we hear that term sports washing, don't we, where countries like, say, China or whomever use sport to to kind of hide their, their worst angels. Mm. Uh, how does those moral decisions you have to take, how does that sit with you? Well, at the end of the day, I think, you know, naively or not, you know, you need to try and think about sport as a force for good. And, you know, would we have even been having a conversation about um, you know, human rights in China if they weren't having the Olympics. I mean, did it shine a light on that? Did it bring that to the fore and start corporates, you know, thinking about um, how they responded and governments having a conversation? So, I mean, I'm not saying, I, all I'm saying is that the sport can take place on the field of play. I mean, I've seen sporting teams play each other and they're at war with each other mm. outside, you know, outside in, in a sporting context. So, I, and I think that was why, you know, the the Ukraine situation was so confronting for the, you know, particularly the timing of that occurring during an Olympic truce this year. Um, so during the time of the Olympics and Paralympics, there is an Olympic truce that's signed up to by the United Nations. All countries agree it's a time of peace because it's about sport and the like. So aside from all other elements, you know, that is a brutal brutal breaking of that understanding and you know really really tough to to be confronted with that on the the you know eve of the Paralympic Games opening um so yeah I mean I guess and what I see is most countries you can shine a light on things that might not be correct you know yeah people could look at New Zealand and they could make judgments about us and 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 from time to time that occurs but should, should sports people be um, impacted by that if they're not cheating? That's the question. Mm. And I kind of feel like I like seeing sport progress. I like seeing sport played. So those conversations are brought to the fore and sport can be a, a place of, um, you know, a, a force for good. Mm. You have roles, as I said, with the International Olympic Committee and with Commonwealth Games Federation, Vice, Vice President of Com Games Federation? That's yeah. great. 
Yeah. Where, where does the Com Games sit now? Obviously, we're not far away from Birmingham um, uh, later this year. Um, where does it sit in the in the landscape? Well, for New Zealand athletes, um, I think it sits really highly. And New Zealand, um, if we reflect back, the, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, you know, were massively supported here in New Zealand. Mm. And I think one of the lovely things about the Commonwealth Games as an event is it brings to the fore our favourite sports. Um, you know, with, with rugby sevens, netball, bowls, men's and women's hockey, as well as, you know, your athletics and squash as well, not normally. And, and, and you know, so we get we get the best of New Zealand in 10 days. And, and I know the athletes love it. And it's got a, a slightly less edge than the Olympics. Um, so in and of itself, for the Commonwealth countries, it's, it's a pinnacle event. It's not the Olympics, doesn't pretend to be the Olympics, but in and of itself, it's a great event. You know, winning a Commonwealth Games gold medal is a or medal, or even competing at the at the Commonwealth Games is still a very high level of achievement. Um, we'll have a big team in Birmingham, probably two hundred and thirty or forty. Um, tricky games, be COVID impacted, um, but notwithstanding that, they'll still be a really good games. But no, I think I think it rates up there as certainly as as a um, as a great sporting event for sure. Be nice just to well, I was going to say put your feet up, but you won't get to put your feet up because you have still got to be involved from the from the CGF side. Yeah, yeah. I mean the CGF, and I love that. I really enjoy my time in in, in Commonwealth World. Um, New Zealander Katie Sadley is now CEO of the um, Commonwealth Games Federation, doing a great job, just working through the details of the next host for 2026. And um, yeah, I think the future of the Commonwealth Games is is strong. The Games proposition is changing a bit, becoming a bit more flexible. But I don't think at its heart that that will see you know wholesale change. With that flexibility, is it the scale of an event that New Zealand could still host? Yeah, does the scale of event New Zealand could still host, and I I feel you know that would be a, a really cool thing for for New Zealand to to you know put its hand up for and and at the right time. Um, we had a bit of a look at the games before, um, you know, around 2017, 2018, and the model then was wasn't as friendly as we would like, um, particularly around having events and um, dispersed say across the country so for New Zealand that would be a really good outcome if you could have a games and you could showcase you know new cities and speak about new venues and cities like Christchurch you know take some events into Queenstown and so from a showcase point of view stunningly good um, complicated but but fantastic um, so so that's you know likely to be the model for the future a lot more dispersed it sort of disrupts the the heart, though, it's not quite the same as a centralised village athlete experience. But in the future, I think that's the way things will go just because of costs and utilising um, existing facilities and the like. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd certainly love to see a, a Games held in New Zealand in the, in the, you know, in the near-ish term. Oh, near-ish, okay, noted. Um, obviously, we've just had the Women's Cricket World Cup, which or look, for all intents and purposes, the games I went to, great success. We've got the Women's Rugby World Cup, and probably the biggest, and I don't think people quite realise yet how big the FIFA Women's Football World Cup will be in 2023. How, I guess, pleasing, proud is it for you to see these events coming and showcasing what a women's sport have got, what we can do in this event space, and the amazing people who've been running these 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 tournaments. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just, you know, like for Andrea Nelson and, you know, Liz Dawson, who did the, um, alongside with New Zealand Cricket and others, you know, the World Cup just recently for cricket. I mean, 
it was really tough on them, A, being delayed, and then B, having to do that through COVID. And and actually, I heard so many people talking about the quality of the skills of, of the athletes. And, and I don't know how many games were sort of decided in the last over or whatever. You know, it was great, great sport. Um, and you're right, we've obviously got the IWG Women in Sport Conference thrown in there as well. Um, but you are so correct about the FIFA World Cup event. It is, it is huge. I mean... You know, Rugby World Cup, you know, the male, the last one we had here in 2011 will not have a patch on the size and scale of the FIFA Women's World Cup. It's it's huge. I'm just really looking forward to seeing our New Zealand team, the football ferns, play at home so people can yeah. get to know their names and understand who they are and, you know, and really follow them during the tournament. But, yeah, we're, it's an amazing time. But then there's a bit of a cliff face in terms of what are the events after that. So I think that's something for, you know, New Zealand government and sports leaders to be thinking about. I mean, how do we keep that momentum? Because what we do know is that having world-class events in our country, it develops volunteers, it develops a whole community of interest, you know, it upspecks our facilities. All of those things mean it's good for the country. It's good for our reputation. People see how capable we are and a great global citizen in sports. So... So I think it's really exciting to think what could come after 2023-24. Do you get to now do you, you don't have to be quite as diplomatic now all the time do you? you can you can fire you can fire some shots now can't you? <laughs> Boy, we should be doing this. We need to do this. Come on. <laughs> Cautiously I would say Ricky yes I'm still I'm still in my box. I haven't leapt out yet. No, I'm looking forward to the next phase of um you know hopefully you know thinking about what I can do in leadership and contribute to New Zealand sport and both domestically and internationally and, um, you know, hopefully lead some fun projects and do some good work. So looking forward to that. Yeah, do you see you do you see yourself in another full-time kind of role like you've just been in or is it a bit more project and um, governance sort of that yeah. side of thing as opposed to a, a, yeah, a day-to-day proper job so to speak I <laughs> yeah, don't want another proper job um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have one of those so I have no idea yeah I, I think having a bit more flexibility would be would be great um you know I, I love the work that I've done with and for New Zealand on the world stage in various settings so I'd, I'd love to be able to do some more of you know international work if the um borders and things settle down a little bit yeah so a little bit more flexibility consulting maybe interim roles projects um just, just I've, I'd love to have the opportunity to share some of the knowledge and experiences and learnings that I've had in, in, in this role and others and uh, and make a difference in sport. I feel really passionate about it and believe in it. So um, that would be really good fun. Have you got, have you got anything in the pipeline? <laughs> Not specifically. I've got a lot of conversations. But, um, yeah, okay. just, just really um, at the moment I'm just regrouping and focusing on um, – just sort of downloading, I guess, out, out of the NZOC job. Um, I will continue. I've got a, um, a small role with the IOC and obviously in Commonwealth Games as well. So, you know, and there's always always stuff and, and love my involvement in netball. I'm a life member of Netball New Zealand and, and really honoured to do that and help on a few projects. So there's plenty to go on with. Yeah. So, what do you what do you do outside? What's the big plan of on non work stuff? Is it just put your feet up and rest for for a wee while? Well, I've, I'm quite motivated to continue to play golf because I've started to play golf so many times and stopped. So, um, it would be good to have some time and space 
to um, to pick that up and and play on a regular basis and just um, try and move my game forward. But that's that's a work in progress. So that's a full time job. That's a full time job. <laughs> and, and before I let you go, is there if you look back on on not just the last ten years at the NZOC, but the Hillary Commission before that, and and down and down south of the Performance Centre, is there anything that sticks out that that you're most proud of that's been achieved in that time? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I've been asked this a few times uh, lately. Um, I mean, I guess for me, there's there's two things. One is that I, you know, I just looked at that reflected on the recent Olympic Games actually on both of them and I just you know feel an immense sense of pride in how New Zealand performed on the world stage in both of those games with our athletes you know whether they're youthful or at the you know more mature end of their career they were just they they competed with such you know um, character personality they were so proud they were authentic you know, and the team was, you know, really gelled behind them and showed the best of us on the world stage. And I thought that was, it was a culmination of so much of New Zealand sport over so long, because you don't get to make those gains on the medal table in either of those Olympics without huge investment and, you know, structure and strategy. So that was a massive thing. Um, but thinking about the New Zealand Olympic Committee as an organisation, you know, in recent times, I'm just really proud of you know, where we've got to and their work with athletes and the, the role that athletes play in the organisation. I mean, we talk about being athlete-centred and I really feel like we've made strides on that. I'm really proud of that because if you are working, you know, with your athletes and they are engaged and they're sitting at the board table and they're making decisions, you know, they will make us a better organisation and more relevant, more connected um, and more attuned to their needs. So I, I feel like we've made huge progress in that regard. So I'm pretty proud of that. Good on you. Thank you so much for your time today and the work you've done over the years. And we look forward to seeing whatever might be next. Thank you so much, Kieran, for joining me on Trailblazers. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you very much.